What's up? Welcome back or welcome to the Man Child Podcast. Man, it's going good. It's freezing cold, but it's going good. Uh, Thanksgiving. Listen, do not, all right, side note before we get started, okay? Don't slide into just super fat loser mode from now until New Year's, and then you make some stupid resolution, and then you're like, oh, I signed up, or I bought a treadmill. That's nonsense, all right? Have some willpower. Have some discipline so that you feel, my, there's a uh, Jocko Williams, right? Discipline is freedom, right? So you don't have to eat every piece of cake that gets brought to the office. You don't have to have every cookie that gets baked. You don't have to feel terrible. Don't just say that's the way things are. Oh, my back. Oh, my knee. Work out. Run. Be active. Move around. Crawl around. Jump. Do some stuff, man. Be physical. Wear yourself out till you can't wait to go to bed. That's good living, okay? That's that's a side note. Anyway, new article is up on the site, themanchildmedia.com. Pity the pitiful, all right? Listen, we got really good at hating kids, and it's dressed up. It's disguised as tolerance and how we lowered standards for kids. It's basically when you say somebody doesn't have to live up to a standard, you're saying they're less human. That's what you're doing, all right? That new article is up. Dig into that. If you agree, disagree, whatever, let us know about it, man. Comment. Let's get a discussion going, okay? Uh, Guys, We're building a brand, all right? Apparel, hats, shirts, we're growing it, all right? We want to make stuff that is a nod, a tip of the hat to the ideas and lifestyles we're trying to carve out here, all right? So here's how we're going to do it. Small batch, limited runs of everything, and I'll tell you why. Let's just be honest here, okay? We're not a huge corporation. I don't have a bunch of money dumping into this thing. So it's it's stuff I want to I want to exist. It's not like, oh man, that'll be hot. I bet people consume this. That's dumb. Okay. So we're gonna make things as people buy them. All right. So that means when you buy a shirt or a hat or a beanie, right, that are coming out this winter, we're gonna we're only making 50 of each item. So you and 49 other like-minded folk that thought that was cool are the only ones on the planet that own that piece. You're not just consuming stuff. Lord, we do not need another reason to just consume more stuff and spend money foolishly. All right. We're trying when we when we when we're going to sell this stuff, it's going to support causes. It's going to go to to uh, businesses in this town, working families, creators, artists that are making stuff that that basically make us think deeper about the way we live. That's the kind of clothing, hats, apparel that we want to make. All right. All right. Enough with the announcements. This episode jacked about this one. All right. Our guest is Eduardo Garcia. Who is Eduardo Garcia? I'll tell you. He's a chef, outdoorsman, adventurer, and he's tough as nails. And wait till you hear about this story of what happened to him, what he has done with his life since it happened. All right. So to get you caught up at speed, this guy, world traveler, um, basically big game hunter, wildlife enthusiast, fly fisherman, all over the world, used to be a chef on on a yacht, right? He'd go all over the world on this yacht and, 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 and cook for the people on the yacht, right? So he comes back home. He's from Montana. He's on a hunt. And he, and we talk about this at length in the, in the, in the interview, but he sees a dead bear, right? He tries to literally don't poke the bear. He tries to poke the bear. He gets shocked, by the, the bear was sitting on a live wire buried underground and it and it literally burnt his arm like off. I, I mean that's a crude way to put it, but the the 50 days in a burn trauma unit in Salt Lake City and he had to just basically he, he had to start his life over. All right. And the, so in this interview we talk about how um what happened, 
how he decided to live his life after that. He calls it doubling down on the things he loves and just squeezing every moment out of life. And um, we also get into the, the just what we need to be more mindful about the things we're putting uh, on our tables and the things that we're eating, if we're eating at the table at all. We talk about how disconnected we've become from the food we eat, the necessity of gathering around the table. There's so many problems with families, with our kids, with our spouses, that if we could shut things down and get back to sitting down at the dinner table, guys, I'm as guilty as all, as any of us. I'm just too daggone busy. And we're going to, and we talk about, and my favorite part of it is why food just tastes better when it takes more effort. All right, let's go. It's going to be great. What you know about me? What you know about child? What you know about struggling well through this life? We're better together. What you know about men, child? All right. Our guest on the podcast today is Eduardo Garcia, Chef Eduardo Garcia. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, I'm going to get into so many different layers of, of uh, kind of who you are and what you're about, but just kind of um, you, you're, a, you're a chef. You live in Montana. You're a wild game chef. You hunt. You fish. Uh, you you have your own um, food labels and companies and things like that. Just kind of give us a rundown of, of, of who we're talking to here. <laughs> All right, Luke. Well, um, you know, I'm from Southwest Montana, and I've been cooking since I was just since, since I was just a kid. And um, and these days, as an adult, I run a national food company. Uh, it's called Montana Mex. You can find it online or hopefully in your grocery store near you. And we make uh, organic non-GMO sauces and oils and seasonings. Uh, as a chef, I really believe in, uh, you know, eating, eating as close to nature as we can. And then um, I think outside of being the chef, um, and I guess it's kind of in the same thread, but I, I'm really interested in how we as humans live our lives and how we um, just just the approaches, the techniques, the the tips, the tricks, just how we go about living life from birth till death. And um, there's so many different ways to cut it, right? And and yet I I really get um, <clears throat> I really focus these days on work and partnerships and community and friendships and relationships that kind of surround the topic of living life to the max. And it sounds cliche. It's not meant to be cliche. It's it's really, if you look out at nature, it's what nature does every day. Nature doesn't take days off, you know? Mm. And so I, I guess I'm really inspired by that and how you can wake up every day. It doesn't mean you have to grind. doesn't mean, you you know, it's a, it's a bad deal to sit next to the pool and chill out. But how, how do we get the most out of this very precious thing called life, right? How so, yeah, that's that's my focus. Well, has it, how did that, I'm big on, like, backstory influence how did that come to be like why didn't you just say you know i want to be a chef i want to make i want to work in great restaurants i want to make great food where did this sort of you know trail of i'm gonna i'm gonna do this a little bit different because even way back you decided i want to travel the world i want to be and you were a chef on on yachts and and you and you got to see all over the world and make all kinds of food everywhere where did that come from is that that wildness and that pursuit of that kind of lifestyle um that's a great question i I think it um i think it's at some point it's what you know you know, uh, you know, growing up, um, a boy scout growing up largely playing and recreating in the outdoors. Um, I think that heavily influenced my love and connectivity with being outside and, and, and nature. Um, and then I, you know, I watched my mom who, you know, I grew up in a single parent home and I watched my mom work really hard and, uh, and I watched other people work hard around me and I, and I think, um, I got, I must've been like 11 or 12 and my twin brother and I started shoveling 
driveways and mowing lawns to, to make a couple bucks. And, um, you know, in Montana, shoveling a driveway does not mean shoveling a paved asphalt sidewalk and driveway that's smooth, that's 10 by 30, and you just got to let it rip, you know, right. on the contrary, you know, it's a, it's a gravel road and a driveway can be a half mile long or something, you know, yeah. and, and a lawn is full of sagebrush and all kinds of other stuff. So it's, it was, you know, but that's just what you knew. Right. And so, you know, I, I think, I don't know if we ever saw it as a struggle. It was just like, okay, they want to pay me five bucks to do this. Well, I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to get five bucks. And, and so you spend the whole hour or two hours it takes to shovel a driveway. I guess more thinking about what you're doing, where you're going and what can happen with five hot bucks in your pocket versus, you know, stewing on the fact that you're using your muscles and you're sweating and you're working, you know, right. and then I don't, you know, so Ted, your question was, how did you end up, you know, how did you get to a place where you kind of were always, you know, looking to maximize life and get after it? I, uh, I think it was just one of those things that the more you do something, the more you compound invest on something in your life, the more it becomes a rhythm, the more it becomes a habit, the more it becomes part of who you are and what you do. Yeah. And, and literally can start, with something as simple as going outside and shoveling a driveway and that made some money and hey now I can go do this hey what's on the other side of that let's walk over that hill what do you think's over there and there's just yeah. more and more living to be had um so yep. unless exactly. unless people have been living under a rock I do want to get them caught up to speed uh so you were you were a chef you were traveling the world. You've always been into hunting. You were on an elk hunt in Montana, correct? Was that when, when you when you when you got injured? Yes, that that is all correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then if you can just, you know, quick synopsis, your what happened? How yeah, so <clears throat> I was. I was wrapping up a decade long career as a chef in the yachting industry, like you said, traveling around the world, cooking for people. And um, I wanted to move home to Montana and focus on my food company, Montana Mex, mm -hmm. and also um, just kind of get home. You know, after traveling for 10 years, I was really interested in just being home and and having a little bit more connectivity with my family and my my sense of place. And um, so we ca I came home in the summer of 2011, early summer, started working on the brand with my business partners. And um, I was I took a day off to go elk hunt and was hiking for three or four miles from my truck um, in southwest Montana. And, you know, not untypical of hikes here in the Rocky Mountains. Mm -hmm. I saw, you know, I saw a pile of fur inside this metal can. And, you know, I think I thought it was odd. And yet at the same time, that specific part of Montana is full of old uh, mining claims, um, old railroad stuff, old sheep camps, old homesteads. So, you know, you can't walk, you know, half a mile in the woods back there without seeing a tin can or an old stove or an old creaky bed or the remains of a cabin. So, you know, <clears throat> coming across an old metal can with a pile of fur in it. And when I say pile of fur, about the size of the toupee with some bones attached to it, you know, so not big. And, and I lived, you know, I just very quite, quite easily just looked at it and quite, quite pulled a knife out of my pocket or out of my hip. Uh, you know, it was in a sheath. I put it in my left hand to take a claw off the bear as a keepsake or a memento or, you know, something, right. you know, as a natural person, you know, you can imagine I've got, bones and antlers and feathers all over the place in my home and it's kind of neat you know kids and people come over that maybe aren't so well versed in in the outdoor world and, and way and you know it's kind of fun way to spend a couple hours is going through this is a you know magpie feather and this is a mule deer antler right so that's what's going through my head you know beyond the fact that i'm hoping to find an elk and you know call it dinner for the next 280 days so i uh yeah i kneeled down to take a cloth that the, you know, the small kind of carcass that was in that can. And, you know, the next, the, you know, before I knew it, I had 2,400 volts of electricity arcing from under the bear into the metal of my, the knife I was holding my left hand. And then, of course, shooting through my body. And 
um, you know, I don't know. I guess that's about, that's about the only way I can describe that because, you know, it's really all I remember is just the, the, the sound of, you know, like an amp at a concert going berserk and, um, and, and the heat, like if someone had a a hairdryer to the back of your neck, you know? So, So yeah. The bear had fallen on a down power line. Was that what it was? Nope. Nope. It was a, it was a, um, it was a buried line going from, you know, the road down the valley up to this backcountry cabin. And it was a junction box, I think, where they'd spliced the tail end and beginning end of a new line together and buried the splice where they didn't bury the splice. They, they kept an access point uh, junction box with that can and, um, and the lid had become compromised at some point prior to me walking up on it. And um, a long time prior, I think, because the, you know, the can was overgrown and filled with dirt and other things. And so, you know, it wasn't, it was just an unmaintained junction box, electrical junction box, really. Um, So, but, but I think it's important for everyone listening because you're all, you know, most people are probably thinking like, well, what in the hell are you doing statting that? They're touching it or, you know, whatever, messing with it. And, you know, like I said, it looked like a rusty metal can. And so, you know, and it's four miles in the middle of nowhere, no yellow stickers on it that said warning, no fence, no locks, no power poles that were visible, like nothing to say that, oh, that's an electrical can, um, at least to me. Right. And so, right. you know, so as the person that's very um, used to picking things up and, and, and rolling, you know, picking up natural, you know, feathers and bones and, and rocks and things. Right. It was just not even, it was not even a question. It was just one, two, three. Yeah, let's check this out and keep going. And before I knew it, I was flat on my back with my eyes open, staring at the, at the sky and, and wondering what had just happened to me. And, and how do you get out of there? How did you get, get to help? Yeah, and, and I think that's probably one of the most significant parts of that whole day was that I remember my eyes opening up. I remember, you know, uh, yeah. Imagine when you're laying on your back, taking a nap, you know, we've all been there, done that nice summer, hot, sunny day. And you're just kind of like chilling in a rest state, watching the world and the clouds and the birds or whatever go by it. And that, I mean, that's what it was. Like all of a sudden I was just eyes open, staring at clouds that were slowly cruising by treetops and, you know, the only thing really going through my brain was just, hmm, where am I? Yeah. Um, what's going on? And why am I on my back? You know, why am I on my back? And that's it. You know, not, oh, I know where I am or I know what I'm doing. Just why am I on my back? And I should get up. So I did. I, I struggled to my knees. And then I don't remember walking from that point. I don't remember standing. I just remember getting to my knees. And then I recall quite clearly um, the sound of my boots on the gravel on, on rocks on gravel walking. And then I recall my vision um, coming, you know, not, it's not like my vision came back to me, but my, my conscious memory, you know, I heard the sound of my boots on gravel. Then I recall seeing the Valley below me. And then I started to piece together, you know, kind of where am I? What am I? What am I doing? You know, yeah, yeah. And, and recalled that I was archery hunting. I'd gone on a hike. I'd seen this can. I'd seen a pile of fur. I thought it was a dead baby black bear. I went to go take a claw. There was a noise. There was this heat. And I thought, shit, did I, like, did I, you know, was that noise? Was that electricity? It sounded like electricity. And then as that hit, and this is all happening within seconds, I think, right. you know, it is. And as, as it hit me that maybe I had been electrocuted, I, of course, then started to look at myself versus in front of me while while walking, but to look at my body, you know, Uh and that's when I that's when I saw my left hand, Um, you know, and for the most part, it was very severely burnt to the bone and black and, you know, grotesquely disfigured and and kind of like, you know, flexed into this like gripped claw, if you will. And I was like, all right, (laughs) you know, I, I guess. You know, I guess I, clearly that's a wound, and clearly my hands hurt, and 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 I think it hit me pretty quickly that I I knew, kind of like you know when you fall in love, 
you know, like that definitively, like I knew I was dying. I knew that I was walking to save my life and I knew that I could not stop no matter what I did. There was no, you know, don't stop to rest. Don't stop to lay down. Don't stop to sit down. Just keep moving your legs. One, two, three. Uh, and that's, and you got to do that. So I did, I walked, I walked out, ended up walking out, you know, three and a half miles to a home, you know, a home down on the river in the valley. And there was a gentleman, thank goodness, there was a gentleman there um, who called 911. And, you know, within a couple hours, I was on a med jet headed for the burn trauma center in Salt Lake City at the University of Utah. So they, they fly to Salt Lake City and... When when you when you come out of surgery, you come in you, in your first kind of moment, you're in the bed, right? And and you're you you've you've collected your consciousness. What what is if you recall, where's your where's your first thought now? Upon arrival to Salt Lake, or no, just after you've been there, after the initial all the rushing and 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 all of that, and it sort of calms down, and you're wrapped up, and you and you got your your, your gauze on and, and, and some pain medication and things like that. Where is your mindset at this point? Like, what are you thinking? You know, we'd have to probably bump further out. And, and to be fair, I mean, I'm looking at eight years ago, Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and I don't think it was, I, it's pretty spotty. So I, I, you know, uh, Upon arrival to Salt Lake on the tarmac ambulance, transferring me from the med jet to the ambulance and then obviously the hospital, I remember asking the paramedic uh, where, where I was, or maybe he said, welcome to Salt Lake City. And, and, and I did look up at him and say, well, heck, you know, how am I getting home tonight? You know, I live in Montana right. and, and just so unaware as to how severe this was and you know, the, the medic was with a super kind face was just like, you know, you're going to be here a little while. Um, don't, don't worry. You don't need to worry about how you're going to get home, you know, right. kind of thing. And, and, and how long were you there? Yeah. So I was in, I spent 50 days. Um, 50 days. I spent 50 days in, in burn trauma ICU. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where did the idea come from to, to document this? You know, that, largely came from uh, my girlfriend at the time and you know Jenny Jenny Jane and Jenny and I had been together for um, I think five years at that point and you know we had met in the yachting industry she had moved to Montana um, she was my business partner in the food company in Montana Mex mm-hmm. and um, yeah we were building building life together you know building businesses for sure and um, she had actually just, moved back to the UK for a stint and you know like I think it had been home for a week when she got the phone call um wow. you know and and so it was when she was flying back from the UK to Salt Lake City you know within the first 24 hours of my um my time in hospital I well and I, I hope I'm not losing anyone here but let me let me just try and stitch this together and I'll wrap it but no you're good Jenny and I had been working as partners on the idea of the food company and simultaneously we'd been working on an idea for a outdoor cooking show called active ingredient. And, and so we had a camera, we knew how to use it and we had been capturing kind of like, you know, B roll footage around the world in our travels. And so I think, so we knew that we were kind of building out this business idea and also the potential for me to be a, you know, you know, celebrity chef, if you will, or a chef with a public platform. Right. And that would have been a TV show. Right. And then, and then, so I think when she was flying over from the UK, she, it occurred to her, she said, well, you know, <laughs> the guy's not dead. You know, we should probably just capture whatever is happening here right. because not only may it help someone in the future, but it might just help Ed. Like it might help Eduardo when he comes out of this and right. he, Oh, and he wants to know what happened or what the situation was. Um, there'll probably be a lot of fear and doubt and, you know, uh, filming it may be a way for him to go back and kind of review what went down to get some questions answered. Well, what I'm drawn to about the film, and if you haven't seen it yet, 
guys, you, you have to go check this out. It's called Charge. Um, is when, when people go through trauma, um, and it's and it's my experience that you, you have a choice. Like you know, I lost my my dad died suddenly. You know, in in an, in an operation of a liver transplant, and you know, and I remember my mom saying, you know, you have a choice to be a victim the rest of your life and say, well, my dad died and you don't understand, or you go make what you want to make out of, like you said earlier, your, your precious time. And if you just said, Hey, this guy got severely burned and he was in a burn unit for 50 days and they documented it. That's some heavy stuff, but it gets way heavier. You, you find out you have a, a form of cancer while you're there. Correct. Yeah, I did. It was, I, you know, grotesquely enough, but one of my exit wounds was uh, in my groin and in one of the surgeries to clean me up, basically, um, they realized, you know, that uh, one of my testes was removed and went to the lab and was checked and came back positive for testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, so at that point. And because here's something I wrestle with when people say, you know, it's all in God's plan. Everything happens for a reason and all that sort of stuff. It's if you get enough real real life stories, you can and you believe that you can start to think that like in uh, Bruce Almighty, God is a mean kid on an anthill just burning kids with magnifying glasses. Like what, you know, what are we doing to believe that these things if you so if you say, oh, this is all part of. Uh, you know how cruel to think of it like that but you do not take the victim mentality at all during this process as I'm watching you 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 actually dig even deeper and some of the things that you have going on in your life before that um, from a relationship standpoint to Mm. how you you know uh, it, it, it strikes me and please please correct me if I'm out of bounds here uh, that you walked out of it with just more grace for other humans, more humble, because there's a certain sort of, um, you know, uh, narcissism in a way that you have to have to want to be a celebrity chef, right? And now it's very clear, and it bleeds through the stuff that you make and put out there, that you're, you're going about it in a totally different way. Right. And so not only did you could have very much and I'll and I'll this is a very long statement, I understand, but you could have very much just been like, poor me. I was, you know, watch this. But you said, I I have to not only get better physically, I have to get better as a man than I was when I got air cared in here. Am I am I correct on that kind of trail? Uh, Yeah, I I think. I think you are, I think you're on the right track, but I'll add something to it in that I think you can, you know, we can add any, any moniker to, you know, a person who cooks that wants to share what they do with the world, you know? So if the world calls it a celebrity chef, that's great, Right. but we can add any other thing in there. It doesn't have to necessarily be, And I totally get where you're coming from. And I believe that it's accurate with today's, you know, just where we are in the world today, that there is a certain level of narcissism that's present in anyone with a public platform. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But I I also feel like there's a heavy negative connotation to the word narcissism, you know, when you attach it to something, because, you know, I think from my point of view, being a celebrity chef is not so much to do with my admiration of myself. Right. It's the definition of narcissism, but it's rather my interest in encouraging others or introducing others to something that I love dearly, that I believe in quite passionately and trying to become a facilitator for others to cook and eat and care about their food. So, you know, which you, which you were doing, um, so well, well, which, well which I was doing as a private chef, right? So Absolutely. my job as a private chef was to cook for kids and adults and families and people from all walks of life. And after a decade of doing that, I thought, God, I love this. <laughs> you know, I, right. I, 
this is so much more than just a medium rare steak with you know grilled onions for somebody order up. This is like that's bullshit. This is this is actual. Wait, this is probably the most important thing that happens to anybody every day yes. outside of breathing and drinking is eating. So it's it's not as you know. So anyway, so for me, I think I I, I had a place where I realized that food was just largely overlooked taken for granted and not celebrated but rather just this thing that was a commodity how much is it how long does it take how can we do it quicker and easier and i thought well that's that's ridiculous yes. and it's like you know every bite of food you take could potentially kill you wake up pay attention mm -hmm. you know what are you eating and why are you eating it and what does it do for you mm -hmm. so that was my interest in becoming a quote-unquote celebrity chef right. was to be to to share my love of food and what it does for people and communities and culture ergo when you have a goal in mind and you figure out well how do i how do i succeed in that goal at some point you need distribution for your message or for your right, thought right. whether that's write a book tell us you know just film a movie create a food brand there's a hundred million different ways you know to have visibility and for me, it was, you know, I was approached with an idea to start a TV show based on my interest in cooking over a fire in the outdoors. And I'd say, well, yeah, I could dig on that. You know, you're telling me that I get to go outside and continue to do the things I'd like to do and I love to do. And someone will film it and right. share it with the world. That sounds like a win-win. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. So I, I think we kind of digress a little bit, but I just wanted to share sort of my thought process on Oh, why. my goodness. And I hope that you don't think that I was accusing you of, like, <laughs> thinking that you're this arrogant guy before and then you're the – that's not at no. all. No, I, no, 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 not, not at all. I think okay. I, I just felt I, – I felt it was a good opportunity to share no, – Absolutely. You know, a, a celebrity chef's take on what it means to be a celebrity chef. But, yes. you know, it's not yes. – it's not just the Food Network and, you know, stars and bars and stuff. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. Um. And because I know you, you you have to probably get tired of talking about just what happened and that sort of thing. And what you're doing right now is your life. And, and I don't want the majority of this conversation to be about that. But I just wanted people to get the backstory to understand what what's going on. Um, but I, I want to talk about food a lot. Uh, and I want to talk about um, one of the things I, I wrote it down. I was watching one of the episodes of Hungry Life and you said um, – an unforgettable meal is a meal that didn't take any effort, right? And we are obsessed with ease. We're obsessed with how convenient we can make something. I, you know, I was just doing some research, and 20% of meals eaten by Americans are in the car right now. And But we also, uh, by research, we work we physically work less on the clock being paid than we did in the 60s. But we, we've convinced ourselves we have no time. We have no time to eat. Meals are now marketed in how you can eat them while doing something else. Taco Bell's, a lot of their model is to, it's on-the-go food that won't spill on you, right? And, right, right, right. There's something really wrong with that, and I think – you're bringing us back to just a sobering realization of what the gift of eating and making a meal and sharing a meal with people is. Well, yeah, it's the most most important thing we do every day. One of the most important things we do every day. You know, I mean, yeah, it's a man. You mentioned the word rabbit hole earlier, and I was like, okay, here we go. We're gonna get down this rabbit hole. But I, um, you know, I I'll put it to you this way. And, yeah. and I let's think, go down it. I want to go down it. Let's wait, do it. Well, yeah, I'm excited to share with everybody who's listening. But so, you know, food, cooking, I should say cooking was my first job. Mm -hmm. 15 years old, flipping burgers, flipping pizzas. Right. And, you know, what did I know about it other than it was a job? You know, it was going to pay me. And that was great. <laughs> and I could buy my first car at 15. Right. Right. You know, I could buy fly fishing stuff and kind of finance my young dreams. And so I was very psyched on working. Um, and then, of course, at some point, you know, you graduate high school and, you know, college and jobs. And that's the conversation everyone's having with you. And and so 
for me, I, I continued, I continued down that route. I'm just like, all right, well, this is what I know how to do. You know, I'm just going to keep cooking. And, and yet, you know, so, so cooking for me just kind of naturally came about, but so, yeah. you know, I don't think I was born since I was a little kid on my mom's apron string. Like that's the contrary. You know, I grew up in a single parent home with a mom that was super busy and she made a pretty good pasta sauce from scratch and a couple other things, but largely my older sister cooked for us and cooked with us. And then we learned how to cook ourselves. And so, you know, like, I don't know if we celebrated food so much as a kid, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think like, you know, these chefs were born with these great culinary beginnings. Um, but, but really, you know, you go back to that shoveling the, the driveway, you know, at 12 or whatever and, and mowing lawns. And I feel like, that quote in hungry life is, is the, is, is like the, you know, the meal that requires little or no effort is the most forgettable meal you'll have, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, if you think about it, you you know, we remember, we remember the story behind things far more than the taste or the flavor or the smell of things. Sometimes, you know, we remember the mission that was taken to get there or to have it come about. And, and so I think all of that, like that type of a, that thought is, is well in line with food that, food that requires, or, or anything that requires some effort and some investment of self and some investment of that precious thing called time and energy, you know, you, you, you end up investing in it and therefore you kind of, you convince yourself that you believe in it and therefore you are proud, right? Then you're proud and if not overjoyed to share this thing right. with others. And now all of a sudden you're invested, you're behind it. And so, you know, yes, it's effort and yes, it's energy, but it, it also, that it just becomes who you are, you know, right. it, you know, so like for me, I was getting pretty burnt out on cooking at some point. Um, I was just realizing that I wasn't psyched on 20 hour days at the chopping block, you know, right. at the dish pit cooking. Right. And so anything can become a grind. Mm-hmm. And so kind of right around the time when I lost my hand and coming home, I started to garden. I started to learn how to grow food. And for me, that was really my way of kind of revitalizing, right? Um, my love of food was kind of making it harder, <laughs> you know, like yeah. saying, I'm going to put these seeds in the ground and maybe, maybe, 110 days from now, I'll get a plant out of the deal and, and, and there'll be a tomato sitting there to eat or there'll be potatoes there. And I still go to the grocery store, so don't get me wrong, but I brought in this element of, and it's not hardship or struggle, but I brought in this added element of, of effort, right? Of, mm-hmm. of needing to try not to make life harder on myself, but to make my meals more rewarding and thereby kickstart my interest in cooking. Right. So, yeah. So I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's well worth a little bit of struggle and, and maybe that word's been given a bad rap, you know, but um, I think everyone listening will agree emphatically that we never want to go on the run, but once we do, what do we always say? And that felt good. Yeah. Like I'm glad I went. You're glad you went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, there's a guy named Francis Chan and he's a, he's a, mm. a pastor. And he said, if you want to know how much God loves you, just look at the way we absorb nutrients because we mm. could just have, we could just absorb it through our feet like plants. He's like, but he obviously, and if, if you believe in God, wherever anybody is out there on that, if you, if you are, uh, you believe that there is a God and that he created you, that he, that's how special he thinks we are, that, that is a daily process of how mm. we get to stay alive is like there's really no reason other than enjoyment to have taste buds right obviously we have to taste something that right. and know it's poisonous <laughs> and it'll kill us right. but otherwise you know i wonder are the plants out there enjoying certain soils or not but we know for a fact that we like that kind of seasoning and we like to leave it on that much longer if it's a if it's a slab of brisket or we totally. like to, we like to smoke it on that kind of wood and yes what you said all of that is effort 
But all of that is is a gift that we get to enjoy every single day that we have largely just tried to bypass entirely. Let's just how, meals are now a problem or an argument. Where do you want to go eat? I don't care. Where do you want to go eat? I don't care. And then they go back and forth and you resent your wife for it. I've lived that for years, right? And so now, and then we can't understand why we're bored and we don't have anything to do when there's literally just staying alive is an adventure. So, <laughs> if you get it's like, it. think about that for a second. You can, I can geek out on it, but that conversation between two people blows my mind. It's like, it's like having a gun with one bullet in it, spinning the chamber and looking at each other and being like, well, you want to go first? No, I don't care. You want to go first? No, no I don't care. You go first. Right. It's like <laughs> food. Right. Come on. You know, it's, it's like food. It, it, I don't even know how to say it. It is, it is quite it literally one of the most elemental things we do. And if we, I always say, if we got as invested and fired up about eating cooking and food as we do about sex the world would be different that's interesting so why well, we put why a lot do you of, think we, we lot aren't jeez man who knows you know who knows it, you know i mean it, it, it's like we put so much effort and so much energy into finding a mate into being attractive to um right. having unit unity and union and 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 feeling connectivity with others um that may, you know, it's like, gosh, well, what about, what about you? What about, what about, how, you know, are you making love to you today? You taking care of you today? <laughs> yeah. You know, are you, yeah. are you, are you seducing your, your senses? Are you, are you flattering your, your interior? Your, you know, like, are you, are you eating the things that your body loves? Like, are you right? And how could you, why would you expect anyone else to? Well, man, that's interesting. And it's the number one reason. Right. Why people don't because I live I'm 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 from the Rust Belt, man, Ohio, Kentucky, you know, mm. that, the, mm-hmm. river, the, the, the salt of the earth, heartland people. And, yeah. dude, they think like you're just you're you're snobbish or or, you know, who are you trying to be? Why are you acting all fancy? Because you put oh, yeah. a, a different type of seasoning on. So it's a totally different way of life, right? Just eat a hot dog, shut up. You know, it's that kind of deal. But, and the number one thing, like, well, it's too expensive. It's too expensive to eat like that. It's too expensive. You know, what do you, why, you know, I can't yeah, afford Well, that. I can't afford And And until, it is more expensive. You, it, well, it may be until you got to go get a heart checkup and clogged arteries and right. everything else, you know? Right. So, and, and, and the other thing is, too, is that it's a, I think, I don't know, it's a longer game, you know, and it's yes. a longer game. The investment is a longer game. So if, you, if you're looking at the effort and energy and money that you're putting into um, into the way you eat and how you eat, um, I would largely just say that, that, that if you're looking at it and how it's going to affect your budget in, in the month, then, then you're looking at a short-term game. But if you're looking at how it's going to affect you in, in not just your life, but generation generationally through your family's life and your kid's life, then it actually becomes a very different equation and very different conversation when you stretch out the cost over time in, in regards to the benefit, you know? Well, and I would uh, also say is that it's an excuse to say something is expensive because you're spending that money on something else. You know, you're spending that money on, like you said, you're spending on hair and makeup and skin toner and tanning beds because you're like you said, it's a, we care about our sex drive way more than what our our intake of food is. So you could afford it, but that's the decisions that you've made. And then you say a blanket statement. Well, that's just too expensive. So I'm going to eat garbage. I'm going to feed my children garbage. I'm not going to think about it. We're not going to sit down. We're not going to pause. We're not going to be thankful for it. We're not going to put any kind of effort into it. And then we're going to just be and we're going to move on to our next thing and check our phones and ignore each other. And it can't, it couldn't be a further disconnection from the human experience than what we've made our normal. And that's why I think we have to hear from people like you. I think it's so important. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, listen, I just, I want to say it here and I want to say it now. You will totally find me eating a gas station hot dog. I love them. (laughs) Awesome. Good. I I don't feel so bad about myself. 
No way, man. When I'm coming home from a late hunt or a late drive, I tell my wife and she laughs at me. She's like, did you eat dinner? I was like, I had a hot dog. How many? Three, (laughs) you know, and I'm putting, I'm putting all the stuff on them, Mm -hmm. but that's because I happen to be driving and I'm not home. I'm not near my kitchen. I don't have the ability to cook. You know, we'll go down to the local honky tonk here and I'll get a burger. I'll get a steak. Hell yeah. No judgment. You know, give me a silver bullet and a steak, medium rare. Sauteed jalapenos on top. Thank you. <laughs> you right. know, so, so like, I think, you know, like I'm really grateful for this opportunity to chat with you and, and the folks that listen to your show, because it's an opportunity for me to just share, yeah. you know, the, the truth about, about kind of the stuff I believe in and, and, and what I'm super excited about. And so in, in no way, shape or form am I saying, Hey, it's time for everybody to, 180 degree their habits their life the way they eat the way they think but not no that's not how it works and you right. if you turn a moving ship at 90 degrees it's going to roll over you got to start these turns slowly and you got to incorporate digestible digestible changes bit yes. by bit until yes. you until you turn the ship different direction and so you know with my brand with montana max for example if you look at it, look us up on Instagram at Montana Max, or if you go to our website and you see our recipes, you know, it's that, you know, we're not, we're trying to make, really meet people where their comfort zone is, mm-hmm. but with a ketchup that may cost a buck 50 more than another ketchup or what, you know, right. but it doesn't have corn syrup in it. And I'm not beating anyone over the heads on it. I'm just saying, look, this thing was made from scratch doesn't have anything that I wouldn't feed to my kids or my grandparents. It doesn't have anything that's going to hurt you um, or that your body doesn't know how to deal with. Try it out. Right. And that's it. That's yes. it. There's no further pressure. It's just like, you know, my encouragement is, 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 is to try these options and see if you like them. And I hope you like the flavor of them. And if you like the flavor of them, that's a start. And yes. then, then hopefully someone tries a recipe and, 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 and it's mashed potatoes, but maybe it's got, a touch of this or that in it. And all of a sudden it's a jalapeno mashed potatoes. And, you know, to your, to your group that you were saying, you know, yeah, maybe that's kind of fancy, but is it though? You know, you just right. order the spice off Amazon. It shows up at your house. Yes, you put a exactly. pinch in your mashed potatoes. doesn't really sound fancy. Right. It sounds exciting. It sounds interesting. It sounds different. It sounds yes. stimulating on your, on your brain, on your body, on your tongue, on your stomach, on your palate. And that's it. You don't have to think it past that. It's like, you know, we all right. want something a little different while at the same time we want to be comfortable and safe. So, well, you know, we have to rethink the wheel here. Exactly. And it doesn't, if you don't like something, you don't need to feel bad. And this is another thing. We got enough things that we go around beating ourselves up about and feeling guilty about. Listen, I, I'm one of those people, right? Where you, you eat a meal and you're like, Oh, I should be, this isn't about what you should be eating. I just would like to start a, a small pause and say you know are we like you said are we squeezing everything out of our our life experience with this elemental thing that we have to do every day and i think there's we we have to it's not possible in my life right now to sit down at the family table every single night of the week but it is something i need to do with my kids at sometimes i gotta sit down and i gotta I got to hear them and let them have the floor and let them speak. And I got to, I think that exchange, you know, and, and I'm not, this is not, uh, I'm not trying to make this a spiritual thing, but so much of the conversations, if, if you follow the teachings of Jesus took place at the dinner table, you know, it's a place, it's a place that we let our guards down and we're, we're, there's an exchange. And like you said, you take it to a whole nother level when you went out and got the thing and chased it down and pursued it, the thing that we're, we're now sharing and that you put all this effort into and you're sharing it with me. And as a, you're, you're, you're speaking a love language there where you're saying, I care so much about you in my life that I put this effort towards you share this with me. Right. And, and so there's, that's the, the power of the exchange that takes place at dinner tables um, and, and we can take that to a whole nother level of uh, a degree by going out and getting it ourselves, which is why I'm obsessed with what you do. Well, thanks, man. It, I, uh, I love what you were just getting on and it's like, trust me, <laughs> you know, 
I, I don't sit and eat every meal with my family. Um, and, and I don't think we don't have to like, just take the rule book, everybody. And just, ch- just burn it. Right. Just burn it. Do what works for you. Do what sets you on fire. Mm-hmm. Do what makes you feel great, but be honest with yourself about what that means and what that really is. Right. Yes. If, if you're doing something and you're like, dang, that feels good. And then five hours later or 24 hours later, your head hurts or your body hurts in, in, in a way that is not, you know, um, you know, like therapeutic hurt, you know, like, right. oh, my muscles are sore because I just worked out. Right. But rather, you know, your head hurts because you slammed a couple tall boys when you, you know, at 10 p.m. or because, you, you know, you, you chucked a pack of smokes down you on a weekend with the boys or whatever, like. Pay attention to those things and doesn't mean you shouldn't live a little, but being at the dinner table is this moment where we're all, it's crazy. We're all plugging into the chart to the charger. Like we're all sitting down yeah. and we're all charging, you know, and you know, you know, you know, the history behind cheersing. You ever hear that? The history behind why we say cheers and why we clink glasses. No, I don't. So, I heard this and I haven't fact checked this, but I like how it sounds. So just, yeah, you know, just, roll with it. Yeah, but, roll with it. It's true. Um, you know, when, when they say you're supposed to look each other in the eye and a lot of people says, Oh, because then you have seven years of bad sex. That's not <laughs> what I'm talking about here, <laughs> you know, but they, you know, historically you would fill your glass and that of your guests and the two parties or the multiple parties would cheers, but they would do it in a really robust fashion. Right. Doing a robust fashion. And the goal would in the intention of, of, of being direct and, and present and, and and in a close, you know, arm reach exchange with another person and then cheersing with some gusto would was so that 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 you were making a, an agreement or a deal or you were you were it's almost like shaking hands with someone on something. Yeah. And and that your wine would splash into their wine when the two goblets met thereby solidifying your interest in being in partnership or in agreement with them. And had you actually, you know, if you were trying to deceive them, you know, you could potentially poison them with that goblet. Right. Right. And then you wouldn't cheers with them because you wouldn't want to splash their poisoned (laughs) wine into your wine. Right. Yeah. And so like, when you think about like stories like that, that come about for me, they just point to the same thing. And that eating and drinking are vital parts of our lives. And therefore, I believe, just like birthdays, just like anniversaries, just like births and deaths, um, they should be celebrated, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, birthdays happen once a year and deaths happen once in a life and, um, you know, fairly infrequently. So, you know, there's not a lot of habitual opportunities. And yet food happens whenever you're hungry, which for me is like 10 times a day. So there's a lot of opportunity to celebrate life. So, you know, just, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. We are missing an opportunity when we don't get everything out of our meal. Uh, When you were doing, when you were on the sheep hunt in Montana on one of the episodes of Hungry Life, you talked about realigning your idea of success right and what that means like you know even in in that regards like you you didn't get right the trophy shot you didn't get the you know when you think of a hunting show right people's expectations are you're going to be standing there with this huge a you know old mature ram and then you say look how cool i am you know all that sort of stuff that's what we that's it's how the hunting industry became an industry which is a, stu- a whole nother stupid thing to think about but you we have to what is you know maybe maybe us having this time right me having this time tonight with my kids that's that's a success right us getting right. this meal together and having them and having the time and the money and the and the and the health to go get it and the and the and the know-how and knowledge that we got through trial and error all of, that's a success that is a success i love when you talked about having to we, we have to rethink what that means to us yep you know? yep I, I remember i remember being on that sheep hunt and i remember finding all kinds of things to eat we found stinging nettle we found black currants and thimbleberries and raspberries and um 
had it been a little earlier in the season, we probably would have found some chanterelle mushrooms and maybe some wild onions. And what was cool was, you know, we bought a bunch of food and we found a bunch of food. And the one thing we didn't find was a sheep on a, on, on a legal, you know, law abiding part of the map that right. we could harvest. But I was 60 yards from nine beautiful legal sheep legal being the size and you know the, the you know the specification of how old a, a ram must be to harvest and right um and yet they were 60 feet onto the um onto a non-huntable part of land and so oh, wow. i remember yeah i remember i remember sitting there you know rifle in my lap sitting down observing these sheep just being sheep and thinking to myself of course i'm not gonna lie to anyone you know obviously i'm thinking Gosh, dang it. Right. Walk 60 feet this way, will you? Mm-hmm. And hanging out all day waiting for them to do it. That's and they never did it. And yet when I went home after being a week up at 9,000 feet, you know, pack meals and horses and wall tents and buddies and early morning headlamp coffees and hikes into the areas we wanted to hunt. I don't know about you, man, but I just got to tell you, all of that was winning every single part of that was better than being stuck in traffic and better than, you know, working, working my tail off on, on, on work every day, but getting to go play. So, you know, that, you know, and so, yeah, I'm, I would have loved to have harvested a Ram and I still have yet to this day, but I definitely do not consider that a failure. I considered that an epic trip that I can't wait to do again. You know? Yeah. I, I remember, and not to that degree or, or, even exotic but i remember you know going out and spending all day on the water and right just seeing you know i saw the sun come up and I, I, the temperature changed and the fog lifting up off the water and 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 i got skunked right and i came, right. came back and they're right. like well how'd you do and i was like oh i didn't i didn't even think about that till they they asked me and i was like oh we didn't catch anything and they were like so disappointed for me and i'm like wait a second am i supposed to I'm supposed to feel bad right now. Like I don't want to go out there to make somebody else think it was a success or not a success. Like I had a great time and I'd go do it tomorrow again all day long without catching a fish. I don't care. Like I mean, well, obviously it makes it awesome. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, I'm. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I, I just want to add. I think I think that's we are we're in charge. Right. Like we, we, you know, and unless there's something I don't know about the world, we, for the most part, (laughs) are in charge of our lives. We're in charge of what we do and where we go and how we want to do it. And obviously, you know, restrictions are are typically things that we kind of place on ourselves or things that we continue to keep in our lives. But, you know, I would love to, you know, there's there's many different ways to dice up this life and you can switch gears if you need to. So. Yeah. I think it's about perspective. So for me, if you're going out in the woods or to go to go out in the woods, focus only on killing something or catching something. Right. That's that's fine because mm-hmm. that may be your focus. And trust me, when my freezer's empty. That's the focus. Yeah. 100 percent. That's my focus. I am out fully set on coming home with what I want to eat. And, and, and that's it. And I, and I will wake up early and go to bed late and give it. Mm-hmm. I will struggle well in your word to go get it <laughs> yes sir and I'll, I'll enjoy it i'll enjoy every minute of it however yeah. when my freezer's full does that mean i put down the fishing pole and i put down the bow and the rifle and the hiking boots and i just don't go out anymore right well no because i like to be out there i like to be out in the woods it mm-hmm. it's another like in that, in that sense it's very infrequent 10 percent of the time i'm out in the woods hunting to kill, to catch, to harvest. Right. 90% of the time, I'm out in the woods harvesting something very different, which is a is a psychological thing. It's an emotional thing. It is, um, it's a soulful, spiritual thing, you know? Um, and that is to be out in a place where I feel challenged, where I feel stimulated, where I feel inspired, um, and, and where I can observe and learn so that, and practice. Yeah. Practice finding finding my way out in the dark. Practice 
you know, catching a tailing redfish with one cast, like practice all that stuff, practice, mm-hmm. you know, throwing a lure under a fallen log to get a bass, like, you know, practice makes perfect. So that I always say catch and release is, is practice for catch and keep, you know? So, so I yes. think that's a big yeah. difference. It's like, you know, are you going into the woods every time trying to kill something and harvest something? That's one thing. But if you're going out to just experience, then largely you're going to come home, you know, with a full, you know, with like a, you're, you're going to come home like full every time, you know, if that's what you're looking yes. for. Yes. I, yeah. I, it's just to me, these, the answers to what everybody is pounding their head about, you know, I need, I wish I just had a sense of purpose or I need to lose weight or I need to, uh, you know, I, I'm bored or I, I want to, con- I, I don't have any friends. Well, the, all of that is happening in real time when you just jump in the life cycle, like get, go do the thing, right? You, you're, you're burning calories to go obtain calories. So when you burn them out, you're not going to burn too much. If you have a, if, if you're able to catch or you're able to harvest, you're going to, then you get to put that back in, but you're going to be thankful for it because of how hard it was to go get it. And you're going to have to have most likely the help of someone or something to be able to go and get the thing to put the calories back in. That's how we're supposed, that's living. And that's how we can, that there's, there's zero time to existentially step out of ourselves and be like, you know, I just don't know if I'm happy with this because we're, we're too busy living when we do all those sorts of things. And that is my, I'm late to the party when it comes to hunting and and fishing. I really am. And I, and I alluded back to it at the beginning of our conversation when I lost my dad, my dad was like, like he thought he was Ernest Hemingway in the eighties, right? Like he was, he was like going to Cuba to go fishing. And so, and he's like this legend of a man that all of his friends and my uncles and his brothers and those sorts of things that would tell me about him. And I wrote this down because you talked about, um, you know, you, you didn't meet your dad till later in your life. And he was a fisherman when you went to Hawaii and you were diving and you were hunting uh, deer. Right. Um, and you said, you know, it, you feel a little bit more like you know him or like you've connected with right. him every time you go out and do those things. Do you think, and this is sort of an abstract thought, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm running you low on time, that a lot of our passions subconsciously come from pursuit of our fathers. Do you think that there's something in there that like, because it's not like I ex- had these experiences with my dad, right? Like right. I, I wasn't even mature enough to even absorb any of the vibes that he was putting out he was gone by the time i was right i was online but people are amazed that 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 now know me and knew him that say how much more how how similar we are our interests or our viewpoints or things do you think that there's something there with the pursuits or the, the 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 passions that we develop come from some connection or in in uh pursuit of a connection with our fathers absolutely i mean i think it's 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 what we know it's where we what we know is where we grow you know and so it's i um even if you just hear mythical stories of who your parent was um but may have never met them you know um i think yeah man i mean it's like I didn't know much about my dad until I was 14 and I met him. And, and yet when I met him, I'd built him up to be this mythical figure because, you know, I'd only ever heard stories about him and I can't even imagine what it must be like to have a parent there with you as you grow up. It must be an incredible opportunity. Um, You know, of course, idyllic in an idyllic world, it must be an incredible opportunity unless of course your parents, you know, not, Telling the line and and that, and that's a bad relationship. But right. um, for me, you know, I I think I, this is what I think is curious. So this is how I think I need to answer that question or that you know is that uh, I think are we influenced more by by nurture versus nature or the other way around? And and I think it's I think we can be influenced by both. And and a lot of it for me is going to boil down to what comes first in your life, in my life, you know, in our life. So for me, you know, I had nurture from my mom, not from my dad, but I had nature like in abundance. So I took Mm -hmm. to nature, 
Yeah. And so when I actually got to know my dad in my teens and realized he was a fisherman and he, you know, and he largely was brought up in the natural world as well. I, I would, I would say that when I'm on the water, I do connect with my dad quite, quite a bit, but it's not because I spent a lifetime with him. It's right. because I naturally found that on my own and, and it's a way to continue my connectivity with that man. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a place where I can go find him. So yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. kind of my response to that is I, if not anything, honestly, with my dad, I think, I think it's okay to recognize the errors or the, you know, the places where we as humans can do better, regardless of our generation, our age, or our position in the family. You know, like we are here to inspire and motivate others. We are here to encourage and support others, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and so the lessons, the lessons could go both ways. You know, they go up the, the ladder in age and they go down the ladder. You know, Absolutely. things we can learn from a babe, you know. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Man, um, I could talk to you for hours. I really do think I could do that. Uh, but I won't do that because you have you have <laughs> things you need to do. Um, this is uh, this is this has been special for me, um, important for me. Uh, and and I, w- I hope people can grab a hold of the concepts that you are living out, that you are um, providing for people. Um, so how do we, you know, one more time, what are, what are the ways that we can check out what you're doing, how you're living? Yeah. Well, listen and to everyone who's, who's, who's struggled well with us this hour. I'm psyched to, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a screwy thing to feel like you have no voice and to, and to, and to obviously have a voice. So, um, you know, my gratitude is to you for this invitation to speak my mind and, and share share myself with the community that's listening and then and then whomever you all who are listening share share this with outside of that so yeah. um to be heard is a very beautiful thing and I'm, I'm filled with gratitude for that and you know i i think that this world is a better world when we're collaborating together and we're pinging off each other you know yeah. we're bouncing ideas off each other and we're communicating together so for anyone listening if you, you know, if you, if, if you want, and, and you're interested, go to chargefilm.com and, and, and download that movie and check it out. And then, and then if you feel it, share it with someone, share it, share it with others, um, and, and encourage them to do the same because, you know, I didn't make the film. I didn't edit the film. The film was made about a struggle that I had and, and why I believe my muscles are stronger, you know, emotionally and physically post that event. And, and then, of course, Montana Mex, uh, you know, you can go online, go to montanamex.com and learn more about well, my interest in food and how I think it brings community together. And then, of course, get a couple items and try them out and then, and then yeah. be in touch with me, you know, reach out, yeah. send, send a hello, send an email and tell me what you think. And, and I, you know, I always say people can always get me. Just send me a message on Instagram if that's your thing. Send mm-hmm. me a message at montanamex.com on the contact page. Every email that goes to Chef Eduardo comes to me and, um, and just get out there and keep, keep living this life. It's a beautiful one. It very much is. You're thankful. We're thankful for your time. Um, I can't even put it into words. I really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan for sure. Yeah, man. It, well, my, my, my pleasure, Luke.